the Old Testament reading for today is Leviticus 19, 1 through 18, and 33 through 37. Leviticus 19, 1. And then the New Testament reading and sermon text will be Luke 6, 27 through 36. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to have the habit of opening up at least to the sermon text and having it before you. I think it will be helpful to you uh, in uh, tracking along with what is preached. Uh, God's Word is precious to us. Amen. It is a light to our feet. It is like honey to our lips. It is more precious to us than gold. And so would you hear now uh, the reading of God's most holy Word. Leviticus 19.1 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord." You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Verse 33. When a a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, and and a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Let us go now to the New Testament reading and our sermon text, which is Luke 6, 27 through 36. Here Jesus is continuing in his sermon on the plain. He is preaching to his disciples and he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, 
for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. As we move forward in our consideration of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, we should remember a few things that were stated in the sermon that I preached on the previous passage last Sunday. One, do not forget Jesus' audience. He directed these sayings not to the non-believing world, but to His disciples. Now, this does not mean that the principles stated here have no significance or application for the non-believing world. But it does mean that what Jesus said was first and foremost for His disciples. He called His disciples to Himself. He fixed His eyes on them and then spoke these words. So we must remember the audience, lest we misinterpret this, this text. Two, do not forget what the Sermon on the Plain is. Here we find ethical teachings from Jesus. Here Jesus tells His followers how they are to live in the world. The Christian faith is a way of life, remember. Yes, it is a way of believing, but it is not only that. It is also a way of living. Christians, having believed what the Bible says and having placed their faith or trust in Jesus, are then to walk in a particular way. They are to walk in the way of Christ. They are to obey God's moral law. They are to adopt these ethical teachings of Jesus and live according to them. Everyone is to do that, but here Jesus gives special instructions to his disciples concerning the way in which they are to walk in the world. Do you wish to be disciples of mine? It's as if Christ says this. Do you wish to be disciples or learners of mine? Then you are going to have to walk in this way. This is going to be the way that you are going to walk in the world. Three, do not forget what the previous passage said. I think we must remember the teaching uh, that we uh, encountered in that previous passage. Uh, Jesus began his sermon on the plain by declaring his followers to be blessed. He did not only say that they were blessed, but he gave the reasons. Followers of Jesus are truly blessed because the eternal kingdom of God belongs to them. They are forgiven and made righteous in God's sight through faith in Jesus. They will enter heaven when they die. They will enter the new heavens and earth when Christ returns to judge and make all things new. So then, those who follow Jesus have every reason to rejoice in this world. They have every reason to rejoice, and this is even true, if they are poor, hungry, mourning, and despised by men presently in this world. Christ spoke to His followers saying, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That is Luke 6.22. And then He commanded them to rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, or in other words, foresee, for perceive and understand your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. So then, those who have faith in Jesus are to have this mindset. They are to see the world in this way. They are to perceive these truths. They must see and know that they are blessed in Christ. And then, being convinced of this in the mind, they are to rejoice even in the face of persecution. They must see themselves as blessed and also know that those not in Christ are in a woeful condition. This is true even if they are rich, comfortable, and honored by others in this world. The whole passage that we considered last week was about adopting this heavenly and eternal mindset. And the mindset was to result in rejoicing. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to see that the passage that we are considering today is intimately related to the passage that we considered last Sunday. In the previous passage, Jesus declared His followers, who gave up the things of this world to follow Him, to be blessed. And He pronounced woes on those wicked who chose the riches, pleasures, and prestige of this world over devotion to Christ. Jesus' followers are blessed even when they suffer persecution at the hands of the wicked. And the question that naturally follows is this, How should the disciples of Jesus treat the wicked? 
what should their attitude or disposition be towards those who exclude, revile, and persecute them? How is the follower of Jesus to relate to those who refuse to follow after Christ and even do them harm? And I ask you, is this not the question that naturally arises after the passage we have just considered? Christ has declared that there is a distinction in the world between His followers and those who refuse to follow Him. His followers are blessed, whereas those who do not follow after Him are in a woeful condition. And it was established there that the followers of Jesus should expect to experience persecution and mistreatment at the hands of of their enemies. So does this question not come to your mind? Well, how then are the followers of Jesus to relate to the non-believing world? How are they to relate to the wicked? How are they to relate even to those who persecute them? And that is what Christ addresses here. If it is true that the disciples of Jesus will suffer persecutions in the world of the kind described in Luke 6.22, how are Christians to treat their enemies? Are we to exchange evil for evil, blow for blow, insult for insult, Curse for curse. Is this how we are to relate to our enemies, to those who do us harm? Listen again to the words of Jesus at the very beginning of our text for today. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Speaking of abuse... This passage that we are considering today has often been abused. Some have run to this passage to support the idea that civil authorities ought not to punish murderers with the death penalty, for example. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And so you can see how they would pick up this text and the commands contained within it and say... No longer shall civil authorities punish criminals without mercy, but they must show mercy. They pick up this text and pretend that it was addressed to civil magistrates while ignoring that it was, in fact, addressed to Jesus' disciples. Others have used this text to teach that Christians should never defend themselves or attempt to escape their abusers or demand restitution when some damage has been done to their person or property. After all, does not Jesus say, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And so you can see how their argument goes. Listen to the teaching of Jesus. Doesn't He say, turn the other cheek? Doesn't He say, do not demand your property back, but give them even more? Therefore, a Christian is not even permitted to defend themselves or to demand restitution when injury is done to them. Others have taught that Christians cannot serve in the military or in our judicial system for serving in these spheres naturally requires the Christian to violate the principles that Jesus here teaches His disciples, or so they say. These are all abuses, misinterpretations, misapplications of this text Let me give you a few reasons, at least two. One, these interpretations of the text ignore the very specific context of Jesus' words. He, Jesus, was speaking to His followers regarding how they are to view and relate to their personal enemies. In other words, this text is not about how a civil magistrate is to relate to a convicted criminal, how a military man is to relate to an enemy force, or how a homeowner, husband, and father is to relate to a dangerous intruder. Yes, there are principles here that may be applied even in situations like these, but the text does not teach the non-aggression principle, as some have claimed, for Jesus has personal enemies and persecution for the Son of Man's sake in view when He says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you, etc. There is a very specific uh, thing in view in Jesus' mind, a very specific context to our passage, a very specific situation in mind as Jesus utters these words. Um, 
just in passing, I might say to you, notice how brief these ethical teachings of Jesus are. They are very brief. It is not as if He is attempting in any way, shape, or form to, to touch upon every ethical question that exists in the world. He is looking at His disciples, and He is addressing the question of how they are to relate to their personal enemies, their persecutors, those who mistreat them, especially on account of the the Son of Man, you see. That is what he is addressing. It is a very particular thing that he has his sight set on here. And so we cannot lose sight of this. Two, whatever Jesus says here about loving your enemies cannot contradict what the Scriptures say elsewhere. And a careful examination of the Scriptures reveal that God has given the civil magistrate the authority to punish the criminal, even with the sword. See Romans 13. That Christians may serve in the civil realm and even in the military. See Luke 3.14. And that self-defense is permitted. In fact, in Luke 22.36, Jesus speaks to His disciples saying, And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. This is not a reference to the sword of the civil magistrate. The church does not have uh, permission to pick that sword up. But this rather is a reference to the sword of self-defense. In fact, our understanding of the moral law of God uh, is that when the Scriptures say, Thou shalt not murder, one of the implications is that we are to preserve life, even our own. We have that moral obligation. And so self-defense is permitted in general. Christians are certainly permitted to defend their person and property against violent men and thieves. What then is Jesus teaching here? He is instructing His disciples concerning the mindset or attitude that they are to have towards their personal enemies and even their persecutors. And of course, this mindset or attitude will result in a way of life. So then, just as the mindset about being eternally blessed in Christ, as was taught in the previous passage, is to produce rejoicing in the believer... So too, the love that we have for our enemies in the heart is to result in showing mercy and doing good, even to those who mistreat us. Here Jesus commands His followers to love their enemies and to be merciful to them, for in this way they will show themselves to be sons of the Most High. For He, that is God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In just a moment we will consider this text piece by piece, but before we do, I would like to pause and just acknowledge that this teaching is very challenging. We should admit that our natural and sinful inclination is not to love our enemies, but to hate them. Our natural and sinful proclivity is to retaliate against those who do us harm. We have all felt the desire, I'm sure, to get even, to exchange blow for blow and insult for insult, but this is not the way of Christ. Remember, the Christian faith is a way of life, and this is not the way that Christ has commanded His followers to walk. And so, friends, I say to you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a learner of His, and if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are to learn true doctrine from Him, and also you are to learn His way of life. Or to use the language of John By this we may know that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So let us now go to our text. And we will consider it in three parts. First of all, we will look at the command that Christ gives to his disciples to love their enemies in verses 27 through 31. Secondly, we will consider what the Lord said about this being a distinguishing characteristic of the Christian in verses 32 through 34. And thirdly, we will consider the motivation that we have to love our enemies, namely the glory of God and and our eternal good in the last couple of verses here, verses 35 through to the end of the passage. First, notice that Christ commands His disciples to love their enemies. In verse 27, we hear the voice of our Savior, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. This is a commandment. Christ commands His followers to walk in this way. They are to love their enemies. Now, to love is to have affection or concern for another person. And Christ is here commanding that His followers have a kind of affection 
and concern for their enemies. Now, I do not take this to mean that we must have the same kind or degree of affection and concern for our enemies as parents have for their children, or as husbands have for their wives, or as we have for one another in Christ Jesus. I think it is understood that there will always be differing degrees of affection and concern for others depending upon the nature of the relationship. But the command of Christ is clear and it is unwavering. Love your enemies, Christ says. As you think of your enemy or as you look at your enemy, you are to love them. You are to have affection or sympathy for them. You are to be concerned for their well-being, especially their eternal well-being. So, We are to have this mindset or this attitude towards our enemies. The command to love your enemies is the primary command in this passage. What does Jesus command His followers to do as it pertains to their their persecutors or as it pertains to those who mistreat them? They are to love them. But you will notice that this primary command is followed by seven subordinate commands. And these all clarify What Jesus means when He says, love your enemies. Okay, Jesus, you you have said that I am to love my enemy. Well, what does that look like? I know that I am to have a degree of affection and concern for them, but how am I to treat them in, in particular? What is this love that you speak of to look like, practically speaking? Well, Jesus tells us. Next, Christ says, do good to those who hate you. And so there is the first of these seven subordinate commands. Does someone hate you? Do they hate you, especially because you are a follower of Jesus and because you walk in the way? Then you are to love them in return. You are to do good to them. I think of Paul's words to the church in Rome. He wrote to them, saying, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are you to respond to to mistreatment? How are you to respond to the evil man in this present evil age? You are to do good to them. If someone hates you and does evil to you as a Christian, you are not to avenge yourself. You're not to take revenge. Instead, you are to leave the matter to God. You are to to leave the vengeance to the Lord, and you are to do good to your enemy. If he is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And when Paul says that you will heap burning coals on his head, I think he means that you will get your enemy's attention in this way. If burning coals were heaped on your head, it would get your attention, would it not? And I think that is what Paul means here as he quotes Proverbs 25, 22. So love your enemies is the command. And by this Jesus means we are to do good to those who hate us. And next he commands his followers to bless those who curse them. Now to curse is to speak against, whereas to bless is to speak well of. And so when an enemy curses you, brothers and sisters, or to use the language from the passage, when your enemy reviles you and spurns your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, that is Luke 6.22. You are not to curse them in return, but you are to bless them. You are to answer your enemy's hateful speech with kind speech. You are even to ask God to do something good for that person. That is what it means to pronounce a blessing on someone. You are, in fact, in a way, praying the Lord's blessing on them. Uh, This is to be our response. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. The third sub-command, following the main command to love your enemies, is found at the end of verse 28, where Christ says, Pray for those who abuse you. The Greek word translated as abuse can be translated with a variety of English words. Other translations say mistreat, some say spitefully use, and others say falsely accuse. How is the Christian to respond to mistreatment. Uh, Jesus says that they are to pray for their abusers. Notice the text does not say that the Christian is to enable the abuser or that the Christian must not remove themselves from the abuser 
so as to escape the abuse. I want you to think of how often Paul fled from persecution in a given city. I remember on one account he was let down from the wall in a basket in the middle of the night. Did he uh, foolishly uh, stay in the city to be persecuted there when he had the opportunity to, to escape his persecutors? No, he fled. So, Jesus is not here saying that a Christian must foolishly submit to abuse and not seek an escape. But, He does command that Christians pray for those who abuse them. We are to be like our Lord who cried out to the Father on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The fourth sub-command is found in verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. The command is found in the phrase, offer the other also. Uh, So, you are to offer the other cheek, you are to offer the other article of clothing, is what Jesus here commands. A slap to the face is an act of disrespect. It is is not a full-blown assault, notice, with the intent to do bodily harm. If the intent were to do serious physical enemy, uh, do any serious physical harm, uh, rather, the hand would not be open but closed. So then, Christ is here teaching that a Christian should be willing to expect to accept disrespect and even the loss of property for the sake of maintaining a Christian witness. So this is persecution that is being endured. This is an extreme form of disrespect. You see. And so the Christian is to be willing to endure this for the sake of gospel witness. Christ was slapped, was He not? His, he was spat upon by His enemies. And yet he did, he did not retaliate, but endured the suffering for the sake of His mission. Christ does not here forbid self-defense in a general sense. Instead, He teaches that a Christian must be willing to endure mistreatment especially for the sake of Christ and the gospel. If someone slaps you on the cheek, if, especially if it is because you follow Jesus, then, then do not retaliate. Turn the other cheek to them, which is a sign of your willingness to endure mistreatment in Jesus' name. I want you to listen to te- uh, Peter's teaching on this point. In 1 Peter 2.19, we read, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, One endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It's clear that Peter has this passage that we are now considering in mind. Indeed, he has the whole experience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in mind also. He is commanding Christians here in 1 Peter 2, 19-23 to walk as Jesus walked, to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and to not retaliate but to have this humble disposition of our Lord, this gracious disposition, uh, where we return good to the one who does us evil. The fifth and sixth sub-commands are found in verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Again, I must offer a word of caution I do not believe that Christ is here saying that we must give to every beggar who asks for a handout. It may be that we have legitimate concerns uh, that the money we give would be used not for good but for evil. And, And we must not forget what Paul says. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That is 2 Thessalonians 3.10. That is speaking of Christians who refuse to work. Uh, there, but the principle applies. Indeed, we are to be wise with the resources that God has given to us. We are not to squander those resources or enable others in their addictions, etc. In context, Jesus is teaching that if an enemy of ours, a personal enemy of ours, is in some legitimate need, and he pleads with us for help, we must respond with generosity. 
We are not to hold back if it is within our power and, it, and if it is our place to meet the need. And in situations where our goods are taken from us, the context being persecution on account of Christ, we are not to demand to have our goods returned to us. Again, I say this is not common theft that is being spoken of here, but a form of persecution. That is what is in view. And in situations like these, the Christian is to be willing to suffer wrong. We are not to seek revenge. We are not to be driven by angry and vindictive passions. The seventh subcommand is special. It has been referred to as the golden rule. It is a law of sorts which clearly communicates what, what it means to love another person. Sometimes it might be unclear as to what exactly our duty is to another person. But this law will always serve as a sure light to our feet. It, is, it, it goes like this, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So, Jesus has addressed some very specific scenarios. If someone does evil to you, do them good in return. If someone abuses you, uh, pray for them in return. But this seventh sub-command, as I've called it, really does sum everything up. It is an all-inclusive sort of commandment that will pertain to each and every situation that we face in life. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Do you wish that people would treat you with kindness and respect? Of course you do. And so you are to treat others with kindness and respect. Do you wish that people would help you if you were in some need? Of course you do. Then you are to treat others in this way. Yes, even your enemies. The question we must ask is, how would I want to be treated in this situation? And then we are commanded to treat others in that same way. To summarize this entire section, I'll quote from the commentator J.C. Ryle, just as I did in the previous sermon, his, his words are succinct and they are clear. He says this, In the first place, our Lord explains the nature and extent of Christian charity. The disciples might ask, Whom are we to love? And He bids them, Love their enemies. Do good to them that hate them. Bless them that curse them. And pray for them that despitefully use them. Love, Their love was to be like His own towards sinners unselfish, disinterested, and uninfluenced by any hope for return. That word disinterested might sound strange to us, but what it means is that we're not to love uh, with taking into consideration our own interests. We're to be disinterested as it pertains to our own good. We are to love in a selfless way. In other words, what what was to be the manner of this love? Ryle asks, It was to be self-sacrificing and self-denying. Unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. They were to give up much and endure much for the sake of showing kindness and avoiding strife. They were to forego even their rights and submit to wrong rather than awake angry passions and create quarrels. And this they were to be like their master, long-suffering, meek, and lowly in heart. Brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that this teaching from our Lord is often neglected today. We must remember that the Christian faith is a way of life. It is not just doctrine, you see. It is not just trust in Jesus after we have right doctrine and after we trust in Jesus, we are to walk in the way that Christ has commanded. And our way of life is to be marked by love, self-sacrificing love. Yes, even, even love for our enemies. And so we must hear the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and we must resolve to walk in this way. Now, after Christ commands His disciples to love even their enemies, He teaches that this is to be a defining or distinguishing characteristic of His followers. In verse 32 we read, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? In the the Greek, uh, more literally, this can be rendered, What grace is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Or what grace is that to you? 
For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So you can see that Christ calls His disciples to a higher way. Even the non-believing and unregenerate will love those who love them. They will do good to those who do good to them. They will lend to those who will surely repay. But Christ calls His disciples to a higher way of life. You see, the unregenerate, are, they are willing to live according to the works principle. I think this is because they exist under the covenant of works, by the way. Uh, I think there is a connection to be made there. They are willing to live and love according to the works principle. I will love you so long as you are worthy of my love. That's the idea. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, in other words. But the follower of Christ is called higher The love and mercy we show is to be unmerited. I'll love you, not because you are worthy, not because you have earned my love, but because Christ has commanded it. I'll scratch your back knowing that you will likely never scratch mine. More than this, I will bless you, even if you curse me. I'll do good to you, even if you do evil to me. This is the higher way of life that Christ calls His disciples to. It is a way of life characterized by unconditional love. You know, we use the phrase unconditional love or unconditional grace often within the church. What does it mean? When we speak of God's unconditional love and grace, we mean that God's love for us in Christ Jesus and the common mercy that God shows even to the wicked is not conditioned. It is not based on or rooted in the creature, but it is something that is freely given. In other words, God's mercy and grace is not earned by us in any way, shape, or form. The love that the world has is often conditional, if not always. I'll show respect to you so long as you show respect to me. This is the way of the world. But those in Christ, as I have said, are called to walk on a higher path by loving with a greater kind of love, unconditional love. And this indeed is the love of God and the love of Christ. The third and final observation that I have from our text has to do with motivation. The disciple of Jesus is to love their enemies for the glory of God and for their eternal good. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I mention our eternal good or our eternal reward because of Christ's words, and your reward will be great. It is very rewarding, brothers and sisters, please hear me, to live and to love in this way. It is very rewarding to live and to love in this unconditional way. Truth be told, it is rewarding now. It is rewarding today to live in this way. It is a great blessing to live in this self-sacrificial manner. It is a joyous thing to love others unconditional. It is joy to give and to serve. It is not a burden. It is not a burden, but rather it is freedom and great joy. And in contrast to this, a self-centered life is truly a miserable one. You've probably heard it said that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and this is true. It is true. To love your enemies, to do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, brings great rewards even in this life. But I think Christ is wanting us to see that it will especially bring great rewards in the life to come. The disciples of Jesus who lived and loved in this way will store up for themselves treasures in heaven. And when I speak of being motivated by the glory of God, I mean that By living and loving in this way, we will bring honor to our Father in heaven and show that we are indeed His beloved and redeemed children. 
Christ said, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. And then He adds, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This should remind us of the Leviticus text we read earlier from Leviticus 19. The Lord commanded Israel to be holy as I am holy. Well, here we have another command like this. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So then those who are adopted as sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ are to imitate their Heavenly Father in this way. Just as He shows mercy to all. And by the way, brothers and sisters, our God does show mercy to all, even to the ungrateful and evil. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. He gives good gifts to all men, even to those who hate Him. We are to imitate our Father in this regard. The disciples of Jesus are to show love and mercy to all, yes, even to our enemies. Now, brothers and sisters, I would like to move this sermon towards a close by offering a few reflections on this text. Some of you might be able to apply this text in a very direct way. Perhaps you have a co-worker, a boss, or a neighbor who mistreats you because you are a follower of Christ. Christians throughout history, and even up to this present day, have endured persecution of the kind described in the previous text, and therefore they have the opportunity to apply the teaching of our Lord in a very direct way. Love your enemies, Christ said. And it may be that you have these kinds of enemies, people who hate you and despise you and, and, and mistreat you on account of, of the Son of Man, as Luke 6.22 says. And so, if this is you, if you are enduring this kind of mistreatment or persecution, uh, the application is very direct. You are to love your enemies. But if we have this mindset, brothers and sisters, to love our enemies unconditionally and selflessly, can you see that we will then be well prepared to love everyone, especially those who are friends of ours, with the unconditional love of Christ? It is not as if Christ is here saying, love your enemies with unconditional love, but those who are friends of yours you can uh, treat badly, you know, or love with a conditional kind of love. No, of course what Christ is doing here is saying that you are to love everyone with this unconditional kind of love, even your enemies. Even your enemies. In another place, Christ said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you so also are you to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Christ commands the church, His people, to love one another with the same kind of love that He has for us. And what kind of love does He have for us except unconditional love, unmerited love, love that is freely given. This is the kind of love that we are to pour out on one another. And again, Christ does say that it is a distinguishing characteristic of the Christian. Christians are to be known for their love, unconditional, selfless love, love for their enemies, and especially their love for one another. I I want you to think, brothers and sisters, of how easy it is for us to slip back into the works principle, even in our closest and most intimate relationships. Have you ever thought about this? Why do you love? Why do you love another person? Is it based upon the works principle or is it based upon the principle of grace? Is it merited love that you show or is it unmerited love that you show? And even for Christians, it is easy to slip back into this works principle, even in their closest relationships. I'm thinking here of the relationship between parent and child, among siblings, between husbands and wives, and even within the church, member to member, and between pastors and members. You might not even be aware of it, but it is very easy to fall into the I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine mindset. Or the I'll love you so long as you are lovely air. This mindset is a relationship killer. It is selfishness at its core. It is about receiving before it is about giving. It will never produce a relationship characterized by the love and mercy of God. Instead, this mindset will produce a vicious cycle of bitterness, backbiting, and revenge. And I wonder if you can picture it. 
One dirty look is exchanged for another. Every harsh and impatient word receives a harsh reply. Every insult is answered with an insult of equal or greater force. And over time, in a relationship like this, the heart grows cold and hard. And conditional love, of the kind that I am here describing, is cold. It is not freely or generously given. No, it is calculating. Have they earned it, is the question in our mind. Have they pleased me enough to be worthy to receive my kindness? Do you see how cold and dead this is? It is a cold and dead and lifeless form of love. But unconditional love is true love. It is warm and life-giving. It is generous and free-flowing. For love and kindness are shown irrespective of merit. And this is the kind of love that God shows even to sinners. He is merciful even to the unrighteous, even to those who hate Him. He gives good gifts even to these. And this is especially the kind of love that Christ has for His church unto salvation. He has loved us with unconditional love. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He laid down His life for His people, though they were rebels against Him. While we were still rebels, He graciously and effectively called us to Himself by His Word and Spirit. And so Christians are called to love in this unconditional way. Love your enemies, brothers and sisters, but especially love one another with this kind of unconditional love. We are to be marked by this kind of love. And I wonder, can you imagine how wonderful the world would be if everyone loved in this unconditional way? And even if you imagine a world that is still plagued by sin, I, I, think of how good it would be if most or many would respond to personal mistreatment in a merciful and gracious manner. I suppose that most wars would cease. Certainly personal conflicts would diminish and hearts would not be so cold. Frankly, I do not have hope for the non-believing world unless the Lord shows mercy and regenerates them by His Word and Spirit and saves them through faith in Christ the Son. Indeed, if the Lord does not show this saving grace, the world will continue to hate and to take revenge on personal enemies and to love according to the question of merit or personal benefit. But the Christian is to walk in a different way. Therefore, we should expect to have a little taste of heaven on earth in our churches and in our homes as we love one another with the unconditional love of God. And we ought to be resolved to give the world a taste of this too as we show unconditional love and mercy, even to those who mistreat us. And I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that the Christian is able to love in this way. The Christian is able to love in this way. Why? One, the Christian has experienced the unconditional love of God in Christ Jesus in the covenant of grace. We have experienced this kind of love. It has been poured out upon us. We have been taken out of the covenant of works and brought into the covenant of grace where this is the principle, you see. It's a different culture here. It's a different culture here in this covenant. It's a different culture here in this kingdom. We've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness that is, that is characterized by, by backbiting and revenge, you see. It, it's the works principle that dominates in that kingdom of darkness, and we have been transferred into the kingdom of light. You see, Christ's kingdom where He is Lord. It's a different culture here in this kingdom. This kingdom is characterized not by revenge, not by backbiting, not by the works principle, but by grace and love that is freely given. Two, do not forget that the Christian's heart has been renewed or regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has made our cold, hard hearts warm and soft. We have been changed to the core of us if we are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit has given us life. The law of, that was written on stone at Sinai, where has it been written, brothers and sisters, for the new covenant people of God? Where has it been written for them? It has been written on their hearts by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are able to love in this way because we have been renewed to the very core of our being. Three, the Christian is able to love in this way because the Christian has been freed to bondage from bondage to sin in the kingdom of darkness and death and has been transferred into the kingdom of light where Jesus is Lord. Again, the culture is different here. The ethics are different here. We have been set free. You see, we were once in bondage to sin before Christ graciously saved us. 
We were once in bondage to sin, and so we were bound to live in this selfish way. But we have been set free from that so that we might live selflessly and for the glory of God and the good of others, you see. We have been set free from bondage of sin so that we might obey God's moral law, which requires us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Listen to 1 John 4, 7-12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, in other words, if God has loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Lastly, do not forget that Christ does command His disciples to love in this way. He has enabled us to love in this way by setting us free from bondage to sin and by pouring His love out in our hearts. Yes, but do not forget that Christ has commanded His disciples to love in this way. If we are followers of Jesus, we must love as He loves. We cannot pride ourselves in having sound doctrine and right worship and forsake love. As Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making noise. I'm just making noise. And do you want to know something? Over time, that noise is going to become annoying. <laughs> it really will. You know, even if I could speak with this great eloquence, you, you know, even if I could speak of the mysteries of God with great eloquence, if I have not love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then a little bit later he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These, these things remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Brothers and sisters, let us love our enemies. Let us especially love one another in Christ Jesus. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, do help us to live in this way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to sojourn well in this world. And it may be that it is your will for us to experience greater persecution in the, in the days to come. Prepare us for this, O God that we would respond to this mistreatment in the way that you have commanded, in the way that you have modeled. Lord, may we not be slack in this. Do prepare our minds. Do prepare our hearts. We do thank you, O God, that the persecution we face today is still very light. Lord, I pray that we would adopt this mindset now, though, and that we would love one another with this same kind of unconditional love, that we would not exchange insult for insult amongst ourselves, but that we would love freely so as to be like our Father in heaven who shows mercy even to the unrighteous. God, we pray that you would give us this gift for our good, but we pray above all else that it would be for your glory. May we reflect your nature, your character, O God, as we live in this world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.